You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Tonight we're going to continue on in our series, The Life and Ministry of Jesus. Tonight we're going to be talking about miracles. Uh, We are going to start in the book of Matthew in chapter 8. So if you want to open your Bibles with me there, uh, most of the scripture will be on the um, screen behind me. Uh, But when I get to John 11, um, some of you guys know that passage of scripture. Um, I'm doing that in segments, so we decided not to put it up there. So you're probably going to want your phone or your Bible I'm totally fine with your digital Bibles. That doesn't bother me at all. I'll probably think you're texting and not paying attention, though. So um, if I stare at you, I, I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, digital Bibles are perfectly acceptable, no problem whatsoever. But you might want to follow along, especially when we get to John chapter 11, because we're going to kind of be all over it and skipping some verses, and I'm just going to be uh, storytelling a little bit on the in-between. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew 8 and John 11 Uh, We will reference uh, John chapter 5 as well, but um, you won't need to look there necessarily. Uh, Last week, um, while we did have fun and we did have that, we did talk about freedoms and the freedoms that we have in Christ, and uh, that was all rooted from uh, the book of John and Jesus' sayings about, uh, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And while we celebrate our freedoms here in this country to be able to worship the Lord, we celebrate our freedom in Christ even more. So uh, uh, this week, we're going to talk about, uh, in that freedom, these incredible miracles that Jesus does. And so um, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I have experienced uh, a whole variety of miracles in my life and at all different levels. And so I hope and pray that you guys have experienced miracles from Jesus. Um, So uh, we're going to talk about some that he did in the Gospels tonight and and some that maybe you have. Um, So Lord willing, maybe we'll have an opportunity for a couple of you guys to share. So be thinking about that. Anytime you open up a mic for a group to share, uh, everybody gets quiet all of a sudden. Nobody wants to talk anymore. Uh, But just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Towards the end, time willing, um, I'd like a couple of people, if you just an open mic to be able to share a miracle that Christ has done in your life or for a friend or something that you think might encourage uh, the rest of the body of believers. I think it's important for us to encourage each other uh, that Christ is still doing miracles today. Um, so, uh, let's pray and let's just jump right into our Bible study. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the freedoms that we have to sit here, to, uh, dig into your word. Lord, to learn more about you, Lord, and, uh, just your compassion, your love, Lord, just, um, just all of the incredible things that you've done because you love us so much, Lord. So, uh, Minister to us tonight, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. Just pray for your guidance as we go through the scripture. Lord, teach us the things that you want us to know. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So miracles. When you think of miracles, what do you think about? There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes to our mind immediately when we think of miracles. If you're a football fan, maybe it's the Hail Mary pass. That one-handed catch in the end zone when there's like three seconds left, right? 
I think Julian Edelman did that against the Atlanta Falcons at some point, this one-handed catch falling into the end zone, and people were like, he didn't catch that. There's no way he caught that. And he got up and said, I caught that. And we say, it's a miracle. It's a game-winning throw. It's Tom Brady, the miracle maker, right? But is that really a miracle? Is that really a miracle? I don't know, right? I guess in some sense of the definition... It's a superstar play. We use it as a definition in our culture today. But the reality is, is that miracles are something supernatural. They're something outside of the, the limits of and, and the laws of nature most of the time. Miracles are something that's not supposed to happen. Many of you guys in this room probably have experienced miracles in your life. Maybe you're a miracle. You guys hear about those miracle babies? Somebody that's not supposed to have kids, and all of a sudden, they have babies, right? The doctor's like, you'll never have children, and then you're pregnant, and you have a baby. I have a couple of friends that have experienced that. I have a couple of friends that they are the miracle baby. Maybe you're the miracle baby to your parents. Maybe you're the one that the doctor said, nope, there's no way that this man and woman will ever be able to reproduce, and bam, now they have three kids. That's a miracle, guys. That's a miracle. That's a true miracle. That's something supernatural. Maybe cancer. Maybe somebody was laying in the hospital with cancer, and the doctors get ready to operate, and they go in. They take that last x-ray ultrasound, whatever it is, however they figure before they do it, and they're like, hold on, hold on. It's gone. There's nothing there. I've seen that. I've been a part of that. That's awesome. That's incredible. We prayed for a lady in our church many years ago, and she came back, and there was nothing. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. And the way that God ministered to our church through miracles like that, it's incredible. It's amazing. And so as we talk about miracles tonight, we're going to talk about some of the purposes of miracles. Now, Albert Einstein said, Albert Einstein, this is getting intellectual. We're quoting Albert Einstein in church, y'all, okay? There are two ways to live life. One, as though nothing is a miracle. The other, as though everything is a miracle. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the one that needs to explain away every single thing that happens, and you need to have that explanation? Oh, no, 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 no. There has to be some underlying explanation as to why this person was healed of cancer, or as to why this happened, or as to why this happened, or as to why all of a sudden her womb decided that it was going to hold a baby. There has to be some type of explanation. It couldn't just be. It couldn't be a miracle. Or are you one of those types of people? Because really and truthfully, I'm not sure that I completely agree with Einstein. I think there's some middlemen in there. Maybe you're a middleman. I'm a middleman, right? I see miracles in a lot of things as I look around, but not in everything, okay? Uh, so, but this is the reality. In a sense, everything is a miracle. Think about it. The creator God of the universe spoke everything that you see into existence. Isn't that a miracle? 
And I think that's what Einstein was pointing towards. The creator God of the universe spoke everything into existence, which makes it all a miracle. Are you the skeptic that doesn't believe? Or are you the believer that recognizes that if it exists, it's a miracle? It's a miracle. Science is still struggle today to try to explain the universe, why it's here, how it got here. They change their theory every few years. Right now, we're in uh, multiverse theory. String theory, Big Bang theory, it depends on what scientists you talk to today. Those are some of the major theories that people are talking about. And that is their attempt at explaining the universe. But the reality is, is if you know the scripture, you know and understand that in the beginning, God spoke. And it was. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. So yes, everything is a miracle. Everything is a miracle, right? There's miracles all around us, people. Sometimes those that don't experience miracles, those that don't see miracles, aren't looking. They're just not looking. When Jesus was walking here on earth, he did many miracles. And so the first miracle that I want to talk about, because we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, we did the Beatitudes, and then my friend Pastor Jonathan did a great job talking about the law, that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, and he kind of broke down the ideas of the law and where we fall with Jesus in the law, okay? And now, as Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a whole bunch more there, I could do a 12-week series just on the Sermon on the Mount if we really wanted to, but as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, he's walking down the side of a mountain, and this is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This miracle, there's a great message in this miracle. And many miracles that Jesus performs, there's a message in them. There's some deeper meaning to, a mir- to these miracles. This was not just about healing a man with leprosy, but this had great significance in the culture. If you know anything about leprosy, leprosy made you untouchable. Leprosy still exists today. Did you know that? It's called Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease. It's treatable. But in the Bible, it wasn't. It was a death sentence. It was a terminal illness. It was chronic. You'd have it for the rest of your life. Now, you might live for a while. And so because people didn't die immediately with leprosy, they exiled them. There were cities, six cities, that these lepers, they would have to live in leprous colonies away from everybody else. Now, Hansen's disease is spread just like COVID. Coughing and sneezing, water droplets, saliva, passing from one person to another. That's how Hansen's disease is spread. Now, Hansen's disease is a wild disease. If you know anything about leprosy, it attacks your central nervous system. So especially your extremities, you can't feel your fingers and your toes. So these poor guys, 
They would, they would start to have problems because of this, this lack of feeling in their fingers and toes. And as they slept at night, they don't have sealed windows. They don't have closed up houses. The rats would nibble on their toes. They would eat their toes. Isn't that horrible? Everybody grossed out yet? Yeah. And guess what? You wouldn't wake up because you can't feel it. Because you have no sensation in your fingers and your toes. And so, as these guys started to look pretty ragged, it was rough. No one wanted to touch them. Everyone was afraid that they would get leprosy. And look what Jesus does. This is amazing. Jesus is walking down the mountain after this whole sermon on the mount, which is an incredible sermon. And he walks down and this guy comes up to him and he bows down before him immediately. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus says, as he reaches out and touches him. This guy probably flinched when Jesus reached out, to be honest with you. It's probably the first time he had been touched in years, years. As he bowed down before Jesus, Jesus reached out and he touched him. You guys know how important touch is? You know how important that act of somebody loving you in that way? This is incredible compassion from Jesus. This man is sick. He's an untouchable. He's somebody that no one wants to be around and he falls at Jesus' feet and he humbles himself before the Lord and he says, Lord, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing and he touches him. And it's a touch of healing. And the man is instantly clean. He's instantly clean. A message in the healing. Untouchables, guys. God can't be in the presence of sin this leprosy, this plague of leprosy represents sin. In various places in the Bible, we see it representing sin. And so this plague of leprosy makes us untouchable to God. This sin that we have distance us from a holy God. But because Jesus is who he is, he came down just as he was coming down that mountain and he reached out his hand, or should I say reached out his hands, and he touched you and he said, you were once untouchable and I will make you clean. But look what the leper did. Before that happened, the leper fell on his face and said, Lord, I know you can if you are willing, make me clean. It's almost like repentance. This is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of us humbly coming before the Lord, recognizing who we are, that we're sick. You're an untouchable. You're in the presence of a holy God, and you have sin. And he says, I love you so much that I will touch you in the midst of your sickness so that I may make you well. And everything changes in that moment, both for the leper and the sinner. Amen? Amen. There's a message in this miracle. It's crazy as you look throughout the Bible. All of these miracles, 
So many of them, we've talked about a couple of times, and I didn't want to go too deep into this because I did a whole teaching on this. It was about a year, I think it was in the middle of COVID, so it was about a year and a half ago on uh, John chapter 2, Water to Wine. You can go to the website, you can look it up, and you'll see that teaching on that miracle. There's a whole message of the gospel in Water to Wine. Jesus turning something that is ordinary, something that is meant for foot washing in that moment at that wedding, okay, into the finest of wines. Guys, we are ordinary. We are meant for, depends. In Christ, we're meant to be the finest of wines. Without Christ, we're meant to wash dirty feet, right? Because our value is found in Christ. And when Christ is in us, now we have greater value. Just like that water to wine. Jesus' very first miracle. Jesus' very first miracle was the gospel story. Water to wine. Ordinary to extraordinary. And not just any old wine, y'all. The good stuff. The good stuff. Right? Because at the wedding, when the maitre d' said, wait, let me taste it. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa. Why'd you save the good stuff for the end when people are already a little tipsy? Usually you serve the good stuff in the beginning and bring out the boxed wine at the end of the wedding. Now, mind you, weddings went on for seven days, right? And this was three or four days into the party and they ran out of wine. There's a message in a lot of the miracles that Jesus is doing, okay? So we see a message in the miracle. C.S. Lewis said, and I don't have this up here, I'm sorry. Um, I added this in after I sent all my slides in. So that's just how that works sometimes, okay? C.S. Lewis said, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again to bring nature up with him. Jesus, the creator, came down to bring you up. That's a miracle. That's the grand miracle. That's the greatest miracle of all time. The story of salvation, the gospel message, the greatest miracle. It's greater than healing somebody from cancer. We get excited when God heals somebody from cancer. And it's an amazing thing. We get excited when somebody that couldn't walk is able to stand up and walk. We get excited to be able to see these things, but the greatest miracle of all is that gift of salvation. It's that grand miracle, as C.S. Lewis calls it. Let's continue on. This one, this one's kind of funny. I like this one. Those of you guys who are married will appreciate some of the things in this one because if you go down to verse 14 in Matthew chapter 8, you see when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. And now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. He himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. 
I say this one is fun because a lot of people say that uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law because they were hungry, right? It says she got up and immediately made them food, right? So maybe that was his motive in healing. Uh, Others say that Peter ends up denying Jesus three times later because of this miracle right here, Peter healing, I mean, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, because you know that whole mother-in-law relationship that people have. Um, So it depends whether Peter actually liked his mother-in-law or not. But what we do know from the scripture is that Peter was married. Peter was married. You don't get a mother-in-law unless you're married, right? So Peter was married. He was one of the disciples that was actually married. And so they're at Peter's mother-in-law house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law who had been sick. She gets up. What does that tell us about the healing? It was immediate. It was instantaneous. Look at the healing with the, the leprous man. It was immediate, In my class at school, I show a video of a man in Africa doing healings, okay? And this is one of those TV evangelist guys. He travels to Africa, and he does these healings, right? And he walks around the streets, and I don't remember what country he was in in the video that I show, and there's this guy who's been pulling himself around, okay, uh, for a long time because his legs don't work. And this guy just walks up to him, doesn't say a word. He's got all these people standing around him, protecting him. And he takes his Gucci's, okay, his fancy leather shoes, right? And he steps on the guy's legs. And he walks away. And the guy, now all this was being videoed. So you know there was some setup to this. There had to be for this to all be videoed in this way, okay, and for this to become a big production video. The guy stands up, and this is what he does. He stands up, okay, pushes himself up with his hands. I've been healed. Hold on. Jesus said, I am willing And the leprosy left from him immediately. When Jesus heals the paralytics, he says, take up your mat and walk. Not only can they walk, but they can also pick up things and run away with it. And it says with most of them, they actually picked up their mat and they ran into the temple. They were so excited. It's interesting sometimes, some people that kind of do this healing ministry type of thing, When Jesus heals, the healing is complete. When Jesus healed Mary's mother-in-law, she popped right up. She began to cook for them. Well, that's what she did. That was her ministry, was to be able to provide for people. You guys know people like that. Man, it just kills them when they don't feel well because they love making food for people. They love ministering to people. And to have somebody in your house and you're not feeling well and you're a little sick in bed, what an uncomfortable situation. Jesus heals her. She pops right up. She starts making some food. Everything's great. But here's what's happening. Jesus healed the leper on the side of the hill. Then he went down and he healed Mary's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law 
And then the people of the town are like, did you see what happened? Did you hear what happened? I'm guessing the leper probably ran around and said, I was a leper, now I'm clean. I was a leper, now I'm clean. Which is kind of what we should do as Christians, right? I was a sinner, now I'm redeemed. And so people begin to hear about it. And people were excited. And they lined up outside of Peter's mother-in-law's house all night long, the Bible says. Right there, look. It says, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out their spirits with a word. With a word. He healed all who were ill. And this happened so that what was spoken. So this part is a miracle to fulfill prophecy. A miracle to fulfill prophecy. We see here that it says, and he did this to fulfill the book of Isaiah, where it says, he himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. Jesus spent all night long healing. All night long healing. And people wonder why he was tired when he got on the boat and why he fell asleep in the middle of a storm. You ever stayed up all night? Yeah, it's a lot of fun when you're like 15, 16 years old. But once you're in your 30s, staying up all night is hard. It's really hard, okay? I'm like, now at like 10, 30, 11, I'm like, I'll try to make it till midnight so that I can celebrate the new year. It's going to be fine. Give me three cups of coffee. I can do it, right? It gets a little harder as you get older to stay up all night long. Jesus is in his 30s. He's ministering all night long, all night long. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And if you've ever done ministry all day, you know it's draining. It's draining. But Jesus stayed up all night and healed all the people that came to him that day. All the people that came to him that day. All to fulfill the prophecy. All to fulfill the prophecy. Next, and we see it in every miracle Jesus does. Miracles are to reveal the glory of God. Miracles are to reveal the glory of God. And everybody knows this story. This is John 11. This is where I told you you'd probably need your Bibles because we're going to jump around a little bit. John chapter 11. And I love this story. And um, there's a, a music artist. Uh, his name is Randall Goodgame. And he wrote, a, he wrote a song about it. It's called John 11. Right? It's called John 11. It's a pretty clever title, Right? Sometimes musicians come up with really clever titles for things, and this is one of those, John 11. And I love the song. I love the song because it says, I'll rise up like Lazarus in John 11. And it goes on to talk about all kinds of things. There's a whole sermon inside of the song, which is pretty cool. Uh, I highly recommend it. He's a, he's, it's, he was lead singer for, I don't know, a band. And then he went off on his own. Uh, this is all back in the early 2000s. So my, my memory uh, is, you know, uh, with that type of stuff. I tell my daughter sometimes, I'm like, I only have so much space. I, sometimes I got to delete stuff. Sometimes I'm like, it's like your, your, your files on your computer, right? It's like, uh, you're out of space. You got to get rid of something. So sometimes I delete some of those things. Okay, uh, John 11, all right? And this is Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus of Bethany. 
And so now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, these guys have history together. Jesus has been to their house many times. They're good buddies. The Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and her sister Martha. Most of you guys know the story of Mary and Martha. It's often used, especially in women's conferences and various other places. So you have the servant and you have the sit at the feet uh, of Jesus listening and the servant gets mad at Mary for sitting at Jesus's feet. And so there's so many different stories. And it tells us right here, this is the same Mary that would enter into one of the dinners and pour an expensive oil on Jesus' feet and wash Jesus' feet with her hair. Okay? This is the same Mary, the Bible says. And these women were grieved and they sent word and they said, you're uh, the one whom you love here in Bethany, Lazarus. He's sick. Come so that he doesn't die. Okay? I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. Okay? Okay. He's with his disciples. He decides that he's going to stay there for several days before he starts this two-day journey to be able to get to Bethany. So in verse 14, he so, so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus died. Because at first he said, he fell asleep. And they're like, whew, he just fell asleep. And he's like, okay, they misunderstood me when I said he fell asleep. He died. He died? I thought you said that this was, sickness was not meant for death. So why did he die? Okay. And he said, and I'm glad for your sakes that he did. Whoa, Jesus, that's not politically correct. What a horrible thing to tell people when they're mourning. He died, and I'm glad for your sake that he did. If you stopped right there, Jesus would be just a horrible person, wouldn't he? Well, I'm glad that we got the rest of the scripture to know what comes after that. He says, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him now. Therefore, Thomas, you guys know Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap in the Bible. I'm telling you guys. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? He's called Doubting Thomas because he said, I won't believe in Jesus until, unless I can see him and stick my finger in, his, in the holes in his hand. I won't believe that he raised from the dead until I can do that. And we call him Doubting Thomas. Peter denied Jesus three times, and he doesn't have one of those ugly names in front of his name. And look at Thomas right here. Thomas, who was called Didymus, this is the same guy, said to his fellow disciples, let's go. I'm with Jesus. If he's going, I'm going. Because there are people in Bethany that want to kill him. And if he's going to die, I will die with him. That's not the Thomas that we hear about when people talk about Thomas, is it? No, we hear about the doubter. We don't hear about the courageous Thomas that encouraged the rest of the disciples to travel with Jesus to Bethany where they were certain that he might get arrested and killed. And Thomas said, I'm all in. I'm all in. If he's going to die, I'm going to die with him. That's how much I love him. That's Thomas. That's right here. 
So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. Now, this is pretty significant. Jewish superstition believed that when a man died, that his spirit came right outside of his body and hovered over him for a couple of days. So Jesus waited to make sure that they knew that he was dead dead, not just dead, okay? He had to be dead dead. Oh, it's been past a couple of days, which means the spirit is gone. It's already gone up or gone wherever, depending on the person, right? He had to make sure that Lazarus was dead dead. And so here, it's been four days, so there's no question Lazarus is dead dead. Lazarus is dead. Now, in an effort to keep this simple, and because time is always of the essence, I want to make sure that uh, get you out of here on time and give you a couple of moments to share your miracles. We're going to skip everybody's favorite Bible verse, the easiest verse to memorize in the entire scripture, John eleven thirty five. 35, right? John eleven thirty five. we're going to memorize it right now. You guys ready? Jesus wept. Wept. Okay, that's a W-E-P-T. Okay, all right, maybe in the King James it's wepeth because um, they do stuff like that, right? But Jesus wept. Now, everybody can remember the verse. Very few people can remember where it comes from. John eleven thirty five. John eleven thirty five. right? And a lot of people can quote this verse, but a lot of people have no idea what he's actually crying about. Why is Jesus sad? Lazarus died his buddy, his friend. And this great compassion that Jesus has, knowing that Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead is not simply because Lazarus died. I believe that Jesus wept at the state and the condition of the believers around him, of those that were there. Jesus went to a funeral that day, but it wasn't for Lazarus. Everyone standing around him was dead in their iniquities, and in their sins. They didn't believe in Jesus. That town wanted to kill him. All of them were dead. Jesus had a great compassion on Lazarus and his family, but his love runs so deep for those that don't believe that his heart cries that they may believe. I think this weeping is deeper than just Lazarus. I think this weeping is the state of man at this funeral. They're going through these religious motions. They don't fully understand everything that's there, but they're about to see the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and this is awesome. So we're gonna go down to verse 38, okay? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone, Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, he's going to stink. It's been four days already. There's going to be a stench. So Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. 
Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus. I was doing the King James, Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had died, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. We get the glory of God revealed right here. We see the power of Jesus Christ over life and death. And we understand as believers, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus's resurrection. This is a foreshadowing of what he will do for himself. The Bible says that he raised himself from the dead. Wild, right? Kind of crazy. So this is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Christ, and this was vitally important because there's a group of believers, of Jewish believers called the Sadducees that do not believe in resurrection from the dead. So these Sadducees later on are gonna go to Lazarus' house and they're gonna poke him and stuff. I'm imagining that's what they did because they didn't believe. They're like, uh, that can't really be Lazarus, or he probably wasn't dead. That's really what happened. He probably wasn't dead. And do you know people say that today about Jesus? Well, he wasn't really dead. He was probably just in a coma. They just didn't have the technology to know that, and he just came out of the coma, of course. He wasn't really dead. They come up with all kinds of reasons because they don't believe in miracles. They're looking for an explanation. They don't believe in miracles. So, I love the last part of this miracle because I think it's so vital to us. I think it's so vital to us as a church. He says, Lazarus, come out. This is also a message in a miracle because the resurrection from death to life is what we get in Christ when we come to know him. When we are saved, the Bible says you were dead in your sins and trespasses and you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. You've been made alive. And Jesus says, I raise you from the dead. You've been made alive, now come out. But here's the interesting part. It says, as Lazarus came out, he had a wrap around his face, his hands were bound. He still had grave clothes on. How's he get rid of them? He says, hey, you guys, unbind him. Think about that, church. If this is a message in a miracle about salvation and the resurrected dead still struggled with grave clothes and needed those around him to help him with those struggles that he may walk completely free, there's a message to the church. There's a message to the church. Because yes, you've been saved. You've been redeemed. But we need each other, guys. We need each other. Just like in this moment, the Bible, Jesus looks at the other people there and he says, unbind him. He said, those of you around him, now that he's alive, help him. He's still got some grave clothes on. 
You've been redeemed. But here's the reality. Those of us that are saved, you get it. You know. You understand. You still struggle, don't you? You still struggle. You're like, yeah, but if the Son has set me free, I'm free free indeed. Yeah, but you're not perfect. You're going to struggle with sin. And we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to, to help us take that binding off of our eyes so that we can see some of the things in our lives. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, I see this about you, and you're like, nah. No, that's because sometimes we're blind to our own sin. Do you ever notice that you can see everybody else's sin but yours? It's so true. I can tell you everything that's wrong with you. If you want to talk later, we will. I'm kidding. It's really difficult. And man, nobody wants somebody to sit them down and say, hey, you know what? You're really prideful. No, I'm not. Right? I've had that happen to me. It was hard. It was ugly. And I fought it for probably a year when they said it to me. But it was true. I was. I was struggling with pride in the area that they called me to the carpet on. I did not like it. Not at all. But they were probably pulling off a grave clothes that I didn't notice so that God could do greater things with me. And that's kind of how these miracles work. It's kind of how salvation works. God wants to do great things with us. He saved us. He's redeemed us. We don't understand everything that he, that he does. Guys, I've prayed for people to be saved. I've prayed for people to be healed, and they've been healed. I've prayed for people to be healed, and they died. What's the difference? I can't explain it to you. I love John chapter 5. In John chapter, whoops, just lost my spot. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, right? It's why the hospital's named that, because the healing pool of Bethesda, a healing place, okay? So the story goes something like this. There's a man laying beside the pool of Bethesda, and he's hanging out there. And Jesus walks by and he says, hey, you want to be healed? And the Bible said that he would come every day and he would lay there waiting for, now the story of the pool of Bethesda is the angel would come down, touch the water, and when the ripple came out of the water, when you get into the water, you would be healed, but only the first. And so this man had been laying there for years because he had no one to assist him to get into the water. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he said, yes, sir, but I have no one to help me to get into the water when the angel touches the water. And Jesus said, yeah, take up your mat and walk. What? What? And it says the man jumped up. And he walked and he picked up his mat and he went into the temple. And they're like, what are you doing carrying a mat on a Sunday? They were more interested in the fact that he was carrying something on a Sunday than they were that he had just been healed after 38 years of, of, as a paralytic. 
Now, this is the interesting thing in this. When I think about this story, this is the part that kind of blows my mind. This is the reason I'm telling you this. There were lots of people around the pool of Bethesda. Jesus picked one. Why exactly? I can't tell you. We don't understand all of the ways of God. Why he heals this person and lets this person die, I have no idea. I know it's part of his greater plan and purpose. So when we talk about miracles and when we trust the God of miracles, sometimes you see the miracle and sometimes the miracle is something you don't get to see. But he's still the God of miracles. So if you prayed for a healing and it didn't happen, don't be discouraged. Don't, be, don't let the enemy beat you into unbelief because of that. I've seen many. Maybe you have a miracle. I've had the privilege of being a part of a couple of uh, healings that God has done uh, through prayer, through anointing with oil, um, as the scripture tells you to do, and it's just been incredible. So I believe wholeheartedly, 100%, that the God of miracles is still doing miracles today. He's still doing miracles today. So maybe, maybe you're facing the impossible. Maybe you're facing a mountain that's too high for you to climb. Maybe the doctor said you can't have kids. Maybe you've got cancer and it's stage four. Maybe whatever it is, the mountain too high to climb. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said to them, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, you may know this passage of scripture because if you read it in context, he's talking about that the camel through the eye of a needle. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know that the eye of the needle is actually this tiny little place in one of the gates. It's called the eye of the needle. It's not talking about a little thread needle that you just the tiny little eye there. It's talk, but there's no way. It's only made for a person to get through um, so that no one can invade the city walls of Jerusalem. But the eye of the needle is what they called it. Only a man could walk through there and a very thin man at that. Uh, you can go to Jerusalem. But he says that and he says the camel can't get through there. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible because it's what seems impossible is possible for God. So maybe you need a miracle. Maybe your story is the next time a pastor's talking about Jesus' miracle and you get to share an incredible miracle that God's done in your life from now, from the fact that you started praying for it now or we started praying for you for it now. So there's nothing impossible for God. We sing about it. But do we truly believe it? There's nothing impossible for God. Don't forget the greatest miracle is salvation. And if you don't know him, if you don't know him, maybe that's why God brought you here today, is that you may know him. Let Jesus do the greatest miracle of all and save you. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. 
The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.